It's time for episode 531 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the only tech podcast that counts down by half hours. My name is Dan Moore, and I'm joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my dungeon buddy, because we play Dungeons and Dragons together on the internet. It's the one and only Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I am doing well today, Dan. Thank you. Um, counting down slowly. <laughs> to 30. what? No one knows. Zero. Wait, <laughs> I, I started at 30, and, and the only thing that's that's half an hour from there is zero. What okay, well, we better get, we better get going. This is real tense. Uh, this is, of course, the show where we invite on two fantastic guests to talk about four tech topics. To my left this week, it is the phone master at Gizmodo and co-host of the fabulous material right here on Relay FM, the one and only Florence Ion. Welcome back, Flo. <laughs> Thank you for calling me that. And yes, I am using also an iPhone. Just so everybody knows. Wow. Master of all of them. What's happened is that guests have quickly realized that whatever they put in the title section becomes their title. <laughs> and so I am excited to welcome to the left of me, his tech writer emeritus and podcast czar, it's Christopher Finn. Welcome back to the show, Chris. You can call me Chris, that's fine. Or sir, it works as well. <laughs> All right, let's get this underway. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with my topic. I am curious about how you consume books these days. Are you a paper book person, an ebook person, audiobook? And specifically, I'm also interested in where you buy them and read them. I mean, like, what kind of devices do you use if you use them? What stores do you buy from? I'm just, I'm interested in book habits. Flo, kick us off here. In an effort to consume more books, I was like, oh, why don't I just do it on the foldable? I got the Z Fold. You know, I got my review units. You know what? It doesn't work. The phone is just not a replacement for a real book. Um, and so I've been consuming real paper books, but also kind of reviving my Kindle. I have the, um, which which one? The backlit one that they, <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> it's called the backlit There's one. There's so it's many, fine. right? <laughs> anyway, I have that one. And, you know, I feel, I feel kind of locked in to the Kindle ecosystem because of it, but I just kind of gave in to the little Amazon ecosystem. And so I'm sorry to the book industry. Um, but that's how I read the Britney memoir. Uh, for me, I am almost exclusively an audiobook listener. Uh, I end up buying ebooks because when I buy an ebook, then I get a discount on the audiobook uh, because I definitely use more than just the one credit I get each month for audiobooks. So, got to save some money somehow. So, I will buy the ebook and then the audiobook is only $7.99 at that point. Uh, oh, and I listen to those just in the Audible app wherever I can. And on the rare occasion that I am reading an ebook, it's on uh, the new Kindle Scribe, um, which is a pretty cool device that I, I quite like. Chris, what about you? Problematic though the imagery is, paper books can die in a fire. Uh, I'm not all about that at all. I understand the emotional connection people have to ebooks, but I just can't be arsed with the faff of, oh, sorry, of physical books. But for books generally, I'm an ebook boy uh, and it's Kindle. I have a Kindle Oasis that I really like. And either I buy books through Amazon. If I'm buying indie ebooks, then they'll, I can then load them as EPUBs and stick them across to that as well. But generally, actually, I do tend to be more of an audiobook listener. And I will just buy those through the iTunes, well, through the iBooks app, which is that fronts onto Audible, doesn't it? I lose track of these things. I think it ultimately does. Um, but ebooks all the way. 
Dan, how do you read books I, such so, as by prolific the, and noted author Dan Moran? I asked because I'm, I'm curious. I found myself thinking about this the other day because Apple released its top books of the years from the Apple Bookstore. And what I found interesting about that was Apple seeming to care about ebooks. Because, yes, the Apple Bookstore has been there for a long time. They famously got sued by the Department of Justice over having price fixing with the big publishers. And they've kind of dialed back, it feels like, a little bit since then. So this was like a weird resurgence. Suddenly they're like, oh, hey, books. We like books. And you're like, Oh, but it made me wonder. I started thinking about things that, like, I too, like you, most of you end up buying stuff from Amazon when I do buy books. I've tried to use, um, I use Libby here in the US, which is an app that lets you access ebooks at your local library, which is great. I highly recommend it. Um, and then I found myself thinking, like, well, if I could read my Apple books, you know, purchase titles on my Kindle, I would be more inclined to buy books. And at least have a choice of places where I could buy books. Because so much, as you know, uh, Flo mentioned being locked into the ecosystem, like so much of all of these bookstores are about being locked in the ecosystem. I also have a Kobo reader, which I like a lot, but either I have to buy stuff from the Kobo store or it integrates mm. very well with the library system, which is the main reason I use it. Um, and so part of me remembered all the way back when I first started writing about tech, you know, 15 plus years ago. Um, the big hot discussion at the moment was DRM on on audio, on music, right? And amazingly, we won that fight and then immediately lost it as we switched to streaming. <laughs> and yet ebooks <laughs> the entire time are still in yeah. DRM, which I find wild. So it's one of those mm. moments where I found myself wondering, hey, uh, you know, if Apple could convince publishers to sell DRM for ebooks and thus you could buy stuff from the Apple bookstore and read it on a Kindle, I wonder if that would make a dent in things. <laughs> but for the moment, I am largely locked into the same ecosystem as everybody else, which is Jeff Bezos's giant empire. Anyway. Thank you all for your thoughts on that. And I didn't mention my book once. Flo, let's move on to your topic. You know, I cover phones, which also comes with the territory of covering the wearables that connect to them. And something that I've been really jumping into is understanding what the health ecosystems are between Apple and Google right now. Like, what is Google offering you on the Android side? What is Apple offering you on the Apple side? Because of this, I seem to have accumulated a crap ton of health data. I have absolutely no idea what to do with any of this. Do I bring it to the doctor tomorrow when I finally go get my physical? And so I guess I want to ask, what are you doing with your health data? Are you accumulating health data? What are you doing with your data? I have used it in the past. I think my doctor is probably a little annoyed with me at times because <laughs> I am the person who comes with all the receipts. Um, I think it's important to be an advocate. And for me, it is what has made the difference between almost accidentally treated for shingles until I was, uh, you know, I was able to provide information that showed that no, it's definitely not shingles. That is where health data comes into play for me is is having it as those receipts that I can use to explain to a doctor because, you know, I, and I don't blame my doctor. Doctors have so many patients that they have to see in a day and so much that flies by. And it is hard to be able to focus on every individual case. And so uh, being able to give them all of the data that they need to come together to figure out what's going on, I think is important. Chris, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I've used my data in the same way as you've described. I had uh, some symptoms that were analysed and treated through traditional medical means. And then in a the couple of days after those tests had come back and you know, tests, uh, we'd come up with a regimen, 
I kept getting high heart rate notifications on my Apple Watch, like mm. a dozen, two dozen times a day. I would get the hey, your your resting heart rate is above ninety nine beats per minute, hundred beats per minute. So I proactively at that point went to my doc and got you know attention desired. So it's a really manual process at the moment. Is my point, which is a bit of a pain uh, in the backside, but that's kind of where we're at. I have health data in there and it gets logged. You know, my heart rate stuff gets logged from my Apple Watch. Um, I log my weight when I remember to take my weight, but I don't have a fancy scale or anything. I literally just built myself a shortcut um, so that when I go on the scale, I can type it into my phone. Um, do I do anything with that? Now, sometimes I look at it and sigh heavily as I see the graph trending in the wrong <laughs> direction. Um, and, you know, I'll glance at my health trends and stuff that uh, Apple records. And I, I do think it's all very interesting, but I have yet to find a way to make most of it actionable. There are many things happening here. I mean, one, I, I, my PCP of 25 years who is retiring this year, you know, was on the older side. And I think, uh, you know, trying to offer up data for my Apple Watch would have gotten me a raised eyebrow, if nothing else. Um, so I'm interested to see when I uh, see a new doctor, if they may be younger, they may be more open to, uh, hey, here's the information that you could provide that would be useful. I think the other big problem is, you know, and Chris, you alluded to this with the idea of the central clearinghouse that Michael also suggested it's so siloed and fragmented here in the US. Like I literally have gone to different hospitals that are technically now part of the same like organization because they merged, but they still maintain different IT systems and different like patient site options and they don't talk to each other. <laughs> so that's madness, right? I mean, even you really have to stay all within the healthcare, single healthcare system. And that's just in most cases, not feasible within the United States. So trying to sort of figure out how to share that information between different providers, I think is tricky as well. And so adding in your own personal information, you know, that you're collecting and trying to find a way to mesh that with other information adds an entirely different uh, level of complexity. Um, so yeah, for me, it hasn't really come up much in a way that I actually find it useful. But yeah, I guess, you know, I'm logging it all so that someday I can look back and be like, aha, if only I looked at this trend, I would have known that something bad was going to happen or something good. I don't know. It could be something good, right? Anyway, uh, Flo, why don't you wrap us up? Thank you all for sharing. Um, I have to say that the reason I really got into this was because after I had COVID in 2022, um, my I just couldn't walk upstairs. Like it was, it was very difficult. So I started aggregating the data with the smartwatch that I was wearing at the time, which was a Samsung watch. And lately I've been looking at the graphs over the last year and a half as I've like sort of retrained myself to, to live, which is a sad thing to say, but unfortunately that's like what the pandemic wrought. Um, and it, it's really empowering to see the graph go up on your heart rate abilities, on your ability to just like stand up without needing to sit down so quickly. And that's where I kind of started to really appreciate it. The fragmentation is an issue on the Android side of things. I have figured out a way to mix data between Samsung and Google, but that's like such a specialized situation on the Apple side of things. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to export that data and make the most use of it. But so far, it feels like this is going to be the future of healthcare, at least in the U.S., which also scares me a little bit. A, because healthcare data is really hard to encrypt <laughs> at, at scale. Uh, and B, are they going to use this against us to give us health insurance? Lord knows. So I'll keep I'll keep track on it. But thank you, everyone, so much for sharing. 
All right. Well, that is, of course, two topics down, two topics left to go, which means it is halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Traceroute. With the rise of AI, technology is starting to seem more human, and that's causing some mixed feelings in the humans who actually use it. That's why season three of the Traceroute podcast is so topical. It's a podcast that explores the people who shape our digital world and how technology is changing society. The new season of Traceroute is already tackling questions like, why do we talk to AI, but not to our toasters and cars? I do talk to my car sometimes, but that's between me and my car. How long does it take to become pals with AI? In every episode of Traceroute, expert technologists peel back the layers of the stack to reveal the humanity in the hardware. Season three has explored our love-hate relationship with AI, and there is so much more to come, like this week's episode on the intersectional role of tech evangelists, developer advocates, and tech influencers. Who really influences what technology gets made? Uh, I've listened to a couple episodes of the Trace Route podcast. I did find it really interesting to hear them talk about AI and this idea of like the the fact that we sort of anthropomorphize it. Like, you know, I, I suppose we spend a lot of time anthropomorphizing all our technology. We complain about our computers. We talk to them or yell at them sometimes. But like, why do we have this feelings about AI? Why do we, you know, sort of deal with uh, AI that has a emotional response is part of it. And it's kind of interesting to hear them delve into that because I think it's something that we don't often consider. We just sort of take it as granted. So if that's the kind of thing that interests you, perhaps you would enjoy this podcast. Get keyed into the conversation today. Listen and subscribe to the new season of Traceroute on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out Traceroute now. Search for T-R-A-C-E-R-O-U-T-E or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to Traceroute for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, what do you got for us? Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, how, if at all, have you used technology to help you with house chores? Chris, we'll start with you. Not at all, I don't <laughs> think. Unless you do the sort of dishwasher is technology, and so it helps me do that thing. There's no sort of gadgety, techy kind of thing as we would understand that I do, I don't think. So basically, I'm going to sit and listen to what everybody else says and take notes. Dan, can you do it better than me? Oh boy, not as much. Um, yeah, I mean, do you count uh, a vacuum, a non-robot vacuum cleaner? I did buy one of those, um, we bought one of those stick vacuums, you know, like not a Dyson, but kind of the same idea recently. And it's certainly helped us more frequently vacuum places rather than having to lug out our big old vacuum cleaner it does have an app that connects to it i think i've used it once um it ends up not being something that's terribly utility utilitarian for me i feel like i should have a better answer like you know oh my wife and i have like a list that we keep in reminders of our chores and we check that nope don't do that sometimes i put calendar reminders for things that are household things that need to get done like every three months or six months or whatever and and then i you know get the reminder and, and remember to do that thing because otherwise i'll forget I think probably the best example of that is um, I have a Ecobee thermostat and it has a built-in thing that reminds me to change the furnace filter on a regular basis. So I do use that, I guess, but I am struggling to come up with other sort of smarter technology, more technology. I wish there were more technology things that I was using to do my chores because maybe then I would feel less harried. I want the robot that moves the dishes to and from the dishwasher. If we could make that happen, <laughs> that would that would really help me out in life. Flo, uh, Chris and I are terrible people who don't have any technology chores. Do you have anything that, to save us? I do have a robot vacuum, but I haven't used it since I moved into this house. Do you know why? Because I can't go up steps. And I moved into a house that has a conversation pit. And then I have steps that go up to, you know, the upstairs. And guess who has to climb up those steps with a vacuum? Me. Technology just doesn't have the movement that people do in terms of cleaning I grew up with parents who grew up in 
you know, relative poverty. And so the house was always extremely spotless. And up until now, 37 years of age, nobody in a robotic capacity has been able to replace a human cleaner. Um, I would like to quickly, though, shout out my house helper, Rosa, who comes over every couple of weeks to help me clean because without her, I would just drown in dust. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks, tech, for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I have a robotic vacuum and it's fine, but I always have to clean up before it can actually do anything because it runs over stuff and it's annoying. <laughs> um, the main stuff that I use to uh, help me with house chores is are, are apps. So I've got a reminder app that I use called Do. I've talked about it a lot. But um, when there's something that needs to be done, you know, once a week, I'll put it in there. And then once a week, it bugs me. Uh, we have a weird trash service that comes Sunday through Thursday. Don't know why those are the days, but that's the, those are the days. And we have a rule where you cannot take your trash out to be taken out until after 6 p.m. Um, I assume that's so that people don't just have like trash next to their house day in and day out. So I have a daily reminder Sunday through Thursday that says take out the trash uh, that starts at 6 p.m. and will remind me every you know 10 minutes until I actually do it. Um, and that's mostly where tech is involved with house chores. Uh, thank you all for your non-answers. On that, let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Chris. <laughs> I just depend on the elderly neighbors nearby who put out colored bins on certain days. And I'm like, oh, they put the maroon bin out. <laughs> okay, um, so my topic is uh, inspired by yesterday, as folks who follow me on Mastodon and Threads would have seen, I unearthed my uh, treasured 20th anniversary Macintosh, which is sitting up on a shelf behind me now. And I let my daughter wild on it and she fired up by uh, Claris Works and was having a rare old time and Claris Works is joyful I suspect that might be Dan's answer so my question really for the group is what bit of software that you don't use anymore do you have this like weirdly disproportionate crush on this love that got away from you Dan I actually have one that's not Claris Works though I did love Claris Works and Apple Works back in the day um, but it's related uh, there was a brief moment where FileMaker came out with a consumer-targeted database app called Bento. Bento. And yeah, Bento great. was great. And I loved it because it was I didn't need to make a FileMaker database. But sometimes I had information that didn't fit quite right in like a spreadsheet or something like that. And I'd be like, oh, I can make like a little database. And I've tried for years. And I've tried a lot of the alternatives that have been out there, um, both on um, iPad and iOS and on the Mac. And I've never found one that quite fits the same niche and i think it's probably because database software is um you know it's imposing and it's intimidating and and trying to find a way to make that useful but also make it approachable to consumers is a little bit on the tricky side so i've ended up using spreadsheets for a lot of the stuff that might better be asserted to a database but i loved the idea of this like very lightweight little database app um and i still think about it i was just talking to someone the other day about it uh and and i'm i'm sad that it no longer exists they discontinued it and so um yeah now i now I can't make databases anymore and I'm I'm bereft. Flo, what about you? So forgive me. I, I grew up with a lot of Windows, right? I still am on Windows. I really loved Winamp. And uh <laughs> the skins. 
So many skins. It, it Yeah. And so actually what I do sometimes when I'm just kind of like having a bored night on the internet, which are rare these days, but I still kind of try to tap in because it's fun nostalgia, is I'll go to the um, internet database and I'll look up Winamp skins. And so I'll download them and then I'll fire up Winamp and then <laughs> I'll play a little music. It's just I wish... There had been a, a evolution of it to work with the streaming world. I think the one thing that the streaming world is missing is like a universal playlist. This doesn't answer the question. I'm just manifesting something out there. So I don't know. <laughs> Somebody has to come up with something that, that fixes that. Um, but you guys had good answers. <laughs> uh, um, for me, it's a little bit niche. It's uh, an app called Napkin. Um, oh. and yeah, yeah. Guy English, yeah. um, and friends. Uh, so napkin has a special place in my heart because it was created as if it was purpose built for people who write help documents, uh, for consumer tech products. Um, napkin was a kind of photo alignment tool that just made it so easy to resize images so that, so for example, I would take six screenshots of different steps on an iPhone and I could bring them into napkin and I could set the size of one and then select the other five and say, make these all the same size as that one. And then I could say, now align them so that there are three atop and three below. And then now I'm going to mark them up. So it's like an image markup tool. And I could, you know, draw arrows and draw loops and uh, all sorts of stuff. And it was just so easy and lovely. And uh, I used that for so long. And I think I still have it saved somewhere, like the app file, just so uh, it, it still exists. But um, I can't say enough good about how much time it saved me. Um, and because of that, it became my favorite image markup tool. And to this day, I would say I have a weirdly disproportionate crush on napkin for sure. Uh, Chris, why don't you round us out here? It is like, remember, remember, God, this is tragic, I know, but it is like remembering like high school crushes. And there's, there's, there's a sort of weird parasocial relationship you have with these bits of software that really have this oddly special place in your heart. And for me, Classworks is definitely in that list, but um, even more niche for me is I grew up in Britain on Amstrad computers, and I there was a bit of sort of um, very proto DTP software called Microdesign, and I did so much stuff in Microdesign three on my black and white screened uh, Amstrad PCW ten. I even I managed to trace my career in tech journalism back to a copy of uh, Amstrad PCW Plus magazine that I still have in which I was hawking through the letters page a guide to using a bit of hardware that I had designed and like photocopied in the school photocopier into this little booklet that was done in Microdesign 3 and selling for like five quid a pop on how to use a bit of like conversion hardware. And I could, I, you could see me as a magazine editor, as I was. That's why I describe myself as tech writer emeritus. You could see me as a magazine editor, like designing, layout, working out plans and stuff all through microdesign. And I guess that's my point, right? We do remember the, the, the software for its character and for its usefulness and stuff. But actually, the thing we're remembering is the stuff we made with it, the stuff that let us do. And that's actually quite a joyful thing, I think. Uh, that is four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. But first, we have another sponsor to tell you about. And I'm going to let Micah do the honors on this one. 
Yes, because it's Ecamm who are bringing you this episode of Clockwise. Ecamm Live is the leading video production and live streaming studio that is purpose-built for the Mac. If you've got a Mac and you don't have Ecamm Live yet, what are you doing? Ecamm does all aspects of video, not just live streaming, so don't get confused by that live title. It's everything. It's the perfect tool for simplifying your workflow. It's easy enough to get started quickly, but powerful enough that you can create just about anything with video and you can do it all with the Ecamm app. I have used Ecamm for years now uh, with iOS Today, the show that I do over on the Twit Network, This Week in Tech Network, um, because what Ecamm allows me to do is plug in an iPhone or an iPad and have that show up on the screen beside me. So I can have the webcam of my face talking about something and then have the iPhone next to me on screen and talk about an app or talk about walking through a process. But I've also used it for a really complex live streaming setup uh, that streamed to Twitch when I hosted a D&D campaign uh, to raise money for St. Jude. And during that, I had people calling in directly to Ecamm because Ecamm offers a really cool interview feature. And I was able to set up everybody in uh, their own little section of the screen, just like other live streams, uh, stuff that you've seen before. But all of this was done within Ecamm. And what was great is that at the same time, it was recording everything. So we were able to release it afterward as, uh, you know, just a video. And I also use it every week, no streaming live, uh, to do a show that I do on the Twit Network called Hands on Mac. And that requires me to record my screen itself in many cases and switch between views of me on screen, uh, then showing my screen. It's so powerful. But what's great about it is it's very easy to get up and uh, get going with it. Whether you're streaming recording, podcasting like we're doing, or presenting, everything is right there in Ecamm. It includes support for multiple cameras and screen sharing. It has support for all of those cool tools that streamers use on Twitch. And it has a live camera switcher that lets you direct the show in real time, which is what I had to do for the uh, St. Jude stream. You can stand out from the crowd with high quality video, add logos, titles, lower thirds, graphics, share your screen. You can drop in video clips, bring on interview guests. Yes, it has a green screen feature built in and so much more because Ecamm Live does it all. Their members are entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, podcasters, educators, musicians, church leaders, bloggers, content creators of all kinds. And you out there listening, there's no reason to not try this if you've got a Mac. Get one month free today at ecamm.tv slash clockwise and use the code clockwise. That's a whole month free of Ecamm Live at ecamm.tv slash clockwise with the code clockwise. So go there now to check it out. There's no reason to not give it a go. Even if you don't regularly do live streaming or you don't regularly do video production, Give it a whirl, ecamm.tv slash clockwise, because it's just fun to play with. Our thanks to Ecamm for their support of this show and of Relay FM. All right, back from the break, and that means it's time for the bonus topic. All right, very quick for our bonus topic. I want to know we are well underway in the holiday season here. Do you have a favorite holiday tradition? Flo? Yeah, every morning, uh, excuse me, every Christmas morning, we go through the 9210 Christmas episodes playlist that I made on Plex. <laughs> That's, there's 10 oh, episodes the most the most flow thing that i can possibly yes think of. there's 10 episodes so 
I started a new tradition last year that I plan on doing again this year, uh, which are Christmas crackers. Very common mm-hmm. in the UK, but uh, new to uh, my folks here. And so I uh, have that all planned for this year again. Last year, we had a lot of fun. Um, this year, though, I actually got the little things that you put in that when they pull apart, it makes a popping sound. Last year, they did not have that. So I'm, I'm slowly improving upon it. But I'm uh, I, by golly, I'll force it into tradition if I have to. <laughs> Chris, what about you? I hope you put the rubbish jokes in there as well. They're not the same. Oh, you absolutely. <laughs> um, I, lots of traditions. I'm going to highlight one that's really selfish. It's uh, And I, I like being selfish occasionally. So my wife and I shop at a particular supermarket here in the UK for our groceries most of the year. And we accrue points, basically, that translates into money. And it's never very much, right? But it is enough that every single year, when it gets to Christmas time or maybe New Year, we redeem 50, 60 quid of those points, which is pretty much what we've accrued throughout a year, on one brackets one bottle of Vevclico champagne. Because <laughs> uh, my uh, tastes are not matching the level of money I make to fund the lifestyle I want. But once a year, God damn it, bottle of Vev. That's good, good stuff. That is good stuff. Um, my wife and I, usually around the week before Christmas, we have established a tradition of going to Target, and we bet we each get basically twenty five bucks, and we split up and try to get all the uh, gifts that we can for each other that are useful, quote unquote, uh, slash. Um, tasty uh but the challenge is going through and like i literally have like a spreadsheet for this as i go through and like enterprises and you can't go over that's you would have a bento you, spreadsheet exactly i need that's what i need <laughs> uh no you can't go over that's the rule and um yeah everything pretty much everything has to fit like in the stocking essentially this is how we do each other's stockings so uh it's always fun it's always a little bit ridiculous um and it prevents us from spending loads of money that we don't you know need to spend uh but thank you all for your holiday traditions hey if you'd like to get ad free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week that could be your holiday tradition you can become a member of clockwise just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and sign up for just five dollars per month or fifty dollars a year and you'll help support the show in this week's overtime topic we reveal the video game series or characters we want to see made into movies and tv shows thank you everybody this brings us to the end of this week's episode of clockwise all that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guests florence ion thank you so much for being here thank you so much for having me and Christopher Finn, podcast czar, thank you so much for joining us. I feel so much better this week. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael will be back next week for the first show of December. Woo! Uh, Woo! But until then, we remind everyone listening out there watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.